the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality and metaverse. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. One of the things that excites me the most about XR are the creative possibilities. Virtual, augmented, and mixed realities offer us new opportunities when it comes to engaging with audiences in more impactful and memorable ways. We're starting to see creatives, from filmmakers and actors to musicians and artists, experimenting with these technologies to invent new genres of entertainment that we've never imagined or experienced before. For me, back in 2015, I was lucky enough to direct the first burlesque show in 360 video with some of the best performance artists in New York City. That was back when we still had to tape together a bunch of GoPro cameras and the editing, stitching it all together, took ages. It was a great learning experience though, but since then, the technology has moved on exponentially. Recently, I had the pleasure of meeting actress Katie Shute, author of The Improviser's Way, and one of the stars of Galaxical Implosions, a VR interactive animated sci-fi improv comedy series that you can check out on YouTube. Broadcast simultaneously to a live audience and viewers from around the world, the audience participates by deciding the direction of the show in real time, viewing both the live actors in motion capture suits as well as their avatars inside the metaverse. Just this week, I got to visit Four Walls XR Studio, where I stood on a three-sided stage, two LED walls and an LED floor, and then with the touch of a button, I was instantly transported onto the moon. This technique is now transforming Hollywood with shows like The Mandalorian using studios just like this one to create content and sets that would otherwise be impossible or at least incredibly expensive to make in real life. We're also seeing it impact other mainstream medias such as gaming and sports, which I'll be covering in the next episode. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by a true innovator in the XR theatrical space. Brendan Bradley is a multi-award winning actor, writer, director, and producer with over 100 IMDb credits to his name. He has created shows in VR, including the original sci-fi series Sona and a motion capture and 3D animation modernization of Shakespeare's Macbeth set inside the world of a video game. He is the artistic director of Onboard XR, which has supported over 25 live performance prototypes in virtual reality. And on the 26th of November, here in East London, he will be starring in a one-night-only performance of his live virtual reality musical experience, Non-Player Character. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Hello. Hi. So great to have you here, and thank you so much for sharing your time and your stories with us. So to begin... Could you share a bit about your background and what led you to first get involved in the VR space? Sure. 
Um, I'm an actor and scrappy storyteller, and I started producing theater when I was a teenager. And I just have always been obsessed with using new tools to reach new audiences. And I was actually an early mover in Web2, kind of the pivot and shift into socialized and streaming video. Uh, like you, I remember duct taping together 360 cameras and trying to stitch that madness together. Um, and all this work has led me to found the Innovation Lab at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts to specifically introduce students and young practitioners to the potential for new technologies in their creative practice. Um, and so I first got into VR specifically in 2017 um, when I directed uh, a project called Sona um, by Ashley Clements for Legendary Entertainment. And we actually built a spaceship um, in a one bedroom apartment. And then we wanted to take that spaceship and put it into an audience digestible experience rather than inviting the audience over to the actress's apartment. <laughs> and so we put that in virtual reality as a way for the viewer to experience the world of the story through the character's eyes. And this really, for me, introduced me to the concept of using real-time animation for a live performer to kind of puppet these systems similar to my work in motion capture and performance capture. Really cool. I'd love to know a bit more about how your art and and artistic ambitions have changed since you first started experimenting with these new technologies. Maybe walk us through some more of your projects and how one thing maybe led to the next and where you are today. Coming out of Sona and the application of a virtual reality enhancement or embellishment of what was a live action story, that led into A Tale Told by an Idiot, which is an adaptation of the Scottish play about a virtual reality gaming company. And I wanted the actors to be able to perform freely, but capture them simultaneously using a live action camera and a depth sensor, and then choose which reality we were placing them in for the final edit of the story. And I was editing this in the middle of the 2020 shutdown right. and was missing that live in-person theater connection like we all were. And so I was very curious about how you might use these similar systems to puppet live and control live the characters and the avatars, uh, which led me down the rabbit hole of socialized VR, uh, which there's a variety of different platforms and modalities for using this. But specifically, what I fell in love with was web-based virtual reality, particularly the platform Mozilla Hubs. And what this basically allows is, at a very simplistic level, any web-connected device can access the 3D experience, which allows any storyteller trapped at home, any audience member trapped at home, can actually access this experience and participate at their desired level of participation with the experience. Uh, we produced a play of mine called Jettison that um, was three actors in three different cities in the same boat <laughs> in the ocean um, going through this story together. And from our learnings in that process, we wanted to make that scalable to any live performer in the world. And so Onboard XR is a seasonal sandbox and community for any performer to bring their creative practice into virtual reality for the first time. And scaffolding on that, I've continued to be a part of dozens of other XR, VR, and just interactive projects uh, using variety of systems and platforms. You mentioned something just then, community. It sounds to me like like these technologies have the opportunity to really change artistic communities and bring people together from around the world. Is that what you're starting to find? I think it's what I'm starting to, I won't say find, uh, but I'll say rediscover because I think that storytelling and theater and ritual have always been a source of intention 
for us to gather as community, as um, humans, and kind of share in shared catharsis, shared emotional resonance, empathy. And I think that storytelling, specifically using socialized technology, reintroduces it reintroduces us to this idea of community. And I think that what's been really exciting with Web3 technologies, metaverse technologies, is it does really hinge on not about how necessarily cool this VR space is, although that can be very impressive, or how you know fast the refresh rate is on the system. What it really does come down to is we want to share that space together. We want to share these experiences and feel like we have agency and embodiment and experience within them. And I think that that level of connection really comes back to the, you know, telling stories around the campfire. And just at that time, it happened to be that the campfire was the technology. And now we have different technologies to kind of gather around and share our stories. And how does that sense of embodiment change the 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 sense of stories that you're telling and and can you maybe talk a bit about the process that you have when it comes to inventing these kind of shows when you're using a technology and maybe how that's different from from when you're not using a technology well i think to be a bit cheeky about it i will ask don't all storytelling at this particular part in our human history, I think, involves some level of technology, whether it's to enhance or exhibit or in some way um, access the content. In some ways, technology is a going to be a lens and a consideration for any storytelling experience that you're building. And it then becomes an invitation and a question for how you want to thoughtfully design that experience using the technology. And I think this is twofold. There are really cool things we can do using technology to enhance storytelling. For example, I'm part of a beautiful show by Ferryman Collective right now, uh, a company that works almost exclusively in VR chat. And they're really pushing the boundaries of finding world builders that have carefully and thoughtfully designed a space for three years that breaks all the you know, uh, preconceived notions we have about gravity and what is and isn't possible and are telling these beautiful, rich stories using these incredible gamified worlds. However, the question is, who can enter those spaces? How many people at a time can enter? Do you have to already have VR chat? Do you have, a, have to have a specific piece of equipment? Um, versus there is an audience that doesn't necessarily want to play their entertainment. There is still a very huge tradition of people who want to sit in the dark <laughs> and watch and not be called on stage and not be bothered. And so I think you have to find ways to build... I think the, the biggest struggle of working in this medium currently is building for all users. And whether that's building for all users at a device level, like just when we were doing this podcast, we connected multiple microphones back and forth because we're figuring out what is the right way to connect to this particular system today because of the Wi-Fi gods. And so you've got to thoughtfully design for the hardware side of it, but also the, the kind of activation and emotional and intention side of it of how do you want to invite audiences into space? How do they want to be embodied? Um, and what opportunity do you have for their participation, but not entirely reliant on their participation? Because participation also means the invitation not to participate if you don't want to be called on. There are plenty of people that their preferred mode of experiencing is passive. And I think we should always be protecting for that experience as well. I think that's a really good point. And I think when it comes to inclusivity and accessibility, 
this is something that I, there are challenges in designing experiences for everyone, but I'm, it's so important. And I'm so glad to hear you talk about that right up front and how we design those experiences to, to reach everyone. And I think with this technology, you know, to some degree, it has the opportunity to make things like theater more accessible to people, people who might not be able to afford to go to see Shakespeare's Macbeth could go into VR chat and see it either from their laptop or through a headset. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And I love the idea too about when people are embodied in these experiences, that's a different kind of emotional connection that they have to the story and to the other players inside of it. And that impact can potentially be so much greater. What has some of your audience's feedback and experience been? The audience feedback has been lovely. And I think what's very exciting is there is a true opportunity for intimacy with these shows. First of all, because it's such a new medium that I would argue the the, nest, the immediate audience is actually still quite new and small. You don't have millions upon millions of people with headsets that are just logging in constantly um, for these socialized storytelling experiences. And so you're able to design experiences that are meant for one person, three people, 20 people, and really focus on a group dynamic and a group shared experience that is truly intimate, which I think is really lovely. And that also gives you a, a lot of direct feedback of hearing their gasp, of hearing their their thoughts and their concerns, of being able to stop the show and hold in a moment or space that that user wants to explore more in depth, um, which I think is, is a really cool dynamic to this form of storytelling that instead of hitting pause and literally walking away from the content, you can kind of time out inside of the content and let that experience become more rich and more invested. Wow. So what you're talking about there is like not just a, a sense of presence from the audience, but also the actors participating, be able to have that awareness where you can kind of stop time and, you know, improvise and, and grow off of the feelings in the moment. That's really powerful. Absolutely. I, it's like this podcast right now. This is a dialogue. And I think art has always inherently been a dialogue. It's just the uh, loop on that, the feedback loop on that has gotten shorter and shorter as our technology has become more and more real time and more and more robust. Yes. But as we know, technology can be a pain sometimes and there can offer barriers and, <laughs> and, and trouble points. What are some of the kind of challenges or barriers that you've come up against in creating for this combination of technology and entertainment? And what kind of advice do you have for people who want to get into this area, but maybe they feel like they're not technical enough or that it's going to be too expensive, and, um, but, they, but they're interested and want to get started? Sure. Um, I think that there are technical problems and there are human problems. There's obviously the limitations of a connected Wi-Fi, of latency between signals reaching each other, um, and also just of different kind of robustness of different machines. We have to design everything for onboard XR for a mobile phone, which means it doesn't look as great or as sexy when you're inside of a more robust VR system but we're always trying to optimize for the lowest performing uh, device or user. Similarly, I, I do believe there's this human element of not necessarily knowing the rules of the medium or what is required yet, and almost assuming a helplessness to the technology of going, oh, I'm not going to be good at that, or I don't know how any of that works. And 
what I always want to advocate for is I am just an actor that thought this stuff was cool. And so if I can do it, it is very likely that you can do it. Um, and you are welcome and needed in this community because we need as many different voices and lenses and perspectives on this work, because that's how we're going to iterate and find the kind of more stable solutions that scale to everybody. Um, and so one of my first projects in the space was in the middle of the shutdown, I released the future stages which was simply a customizable playhouse inside of Mozilla Hubs that I gave away for free with instructions for how to customize it and how to launch your first performance in virtual reality. And that model and that workflow has been used by hundreds of people and institutions at this point to bring their creative practice or their audience into virtual reality for the first time. And some of that is just the stair-stepping of creating something that looks and feels very familiar and is just one degree removed. I think when you start thinking about virtual reality development, you're like, well, I could be in a rainforest on the moon and I could build it all this way, but then the audience doesn't necessarily know, do I go inside the rainforest? Do I have to get there in a space shuttle? Like, how does this work? What, what am I allowed to do? Should I talk? I don't know. Some, in some ways, putting people first and foremost in a recognizable structure allows people to know the rules of that space and the ritual of entering that space. And they can kind of self onboard themselves a little bit. And then you can make the walls dissolve and have a dragon come out or something. You, you, can, you can then start messing with their reality and start messing with the convention once everybody feels safe and secure in the convention. And so what I would recommend for anybody, if you wanna bring your work into this space for the first time, it is the entire purpose behind the future stages. It's the entire purpose behind Onboard XR. We've hosted over 35 world premieres at this point where we basically have taken artists from all over, all over the world um, that find me on the internet. And we let them work together in short sprints as a community to bring their first short form prototype into virtual reality. And then they've gone on to take that work to festivals or get funding or further production. And the idea is to let people put that toe in the water. That's so cool. And it's really great work that you're doing. And I think you're so right that we do need as many voices and creatives in this space as possible because it is up to us. You know, we're at a pivotal place with this technology and we're the ones who are deciding how it's going to be used, what's possible, what the future of it is. And also these kind of giving people guidance around what to expect. You know, one of the things that I think we kind of come up against is this idea that this can, technology can be quite intimidating to people who've never done it before or never experienced it before. And, you know, what you were saying about putting people in a safe place where people feel comfortable and they also, um, you know, feel like they are in control is absolutely so important because once you have those kind of, um, strategies around that, there's a lot of freedom that comes from, from putting those kind of boundaries in place. And I wanted to ask you, I know you're in LA, what is the kind of uptake and buzz in the Hollywood industry about these technologies? Is this something that you're seeing lots of people interested in? Are you getting any calls to audition for shows in the metaverse yet? <laughs> I, what's, what's been ironic about this is that all of my work in the metaverse has actually rooted me even further back into my 2D career. Like in some ways, the buzziness of this that has gotten me more attention in traditional film and television. 
a uh, quick plug i'm in the dolly parton christmas movie that comes out on nbc this december she is okay. she is everything you want her to be and Amazing. getting to be in a movie musical with a living legend was a dream i'm so jealous that's incredible <laughs> thank you it was really one of those bucket lists that i never thought would even be on the bucket list Amazing. who would ever get to meet dolly parton it was extraordinary love it um but for the vr work i think what is so cool about the Los Angeles community specifically is that without me knowing it, and I am the last cool person to the party here, Los Angeles has an incredible community and tradition for immersive theater. It is a really remarkable place for immersive work, for artists that literally do like one-on-one -on -one shows in a bathtub or take over a warehouse. And there are remarkable productions, cultures, groups, communities here in Los Angeles that have kind of defined that work in the United States for a long time, which is really exciting for me to play catch up on to even learn that this was in my backyard. However, when the shutdown happened, those communities naturally wanted to shift virtually and start using some of these virtual systems. And so some of the folks that are at the forefront of immersive interactive theater are people who are taking the learnings from immersive performance in kind of found locations, site-specific or living spaces, and are bringing that knowledge into the metaverse, which I think is really exciting to kind of scale again, anchoring this kind of new and exciting and buzzy uh, invitation in something that is grounded in traditional craft, in something that we have theory for, we have concepts for, um, that we have vocabulary and language for. So that in some ways it is more scalable and, and we can invite people who already have a creative practice into these new modalities because they at least feel like it's tethered to something they understand. And actually that brings up one of those kind of age old debates is, do you think that directing and producing shows for VR is more like directing theater than directing film? Oh, that's a great question. I have a very annoying, buzzy cliche sounds like a tech bro answer but i would say that film is a window okay right it's kind of this 2d window you can look through and i would say that virtual reality is a hallway in that you are still directing their focus and engagement but you're giving them depth to explore and should they want to stop and look at a painting on the wall or peer inside of a doorway to the side they have that ability and that invitation but you are still thoughtfully guiding them through space um, or at least good experiences are designed that way so that there is quality control and that you are in, still in good hands. So I think in some ways the fluidity of storytelling, good storytelling is just good storytelling. It starts with intention. It starts with thoughtfulness. It starts with good narrative design. And then it becomes about using the correct lens or tool to guide an audience through that story and make them feel safe within it so that they can be vulnerable and experience empathy. And if virtual reality is the right tool for that, you are dealing with this new component of guiding them down the hallway to kind of encounter the story rather than cut to, cut to, cut to, cut to, giving them the window or the lens that they are going to look through, which does, to your point, really reference more theater going back to your 360 taping the cameras together video days which i remember uh, all too well i remember being so confused at the time that that became a cinematographer's medium or a filmmaker's medium because for me it was theater in the round 
I was like, we, we have language for this. We have direction for this using light or sound or movement to draw focus and attention and to bring a viewer's perspective around space from a fixed position. We already have this technology, not technology, but we have this, this craft. And so the idea that it didn't become a really remarkable tool at the time for live 360 theater directors or stadium theater directors and instead became a camera tool just because it happened to be using a camera I thought was a missed moment and missed opportunity and I am excited by the idea that still VR and XR is frustrating enough that it doesn't really belong to any community yet <laughs> let alone one community and so I'm optimistic for the idea that so many different industries and artists and crafts can kind of find their place currently within it. Yes. And that's great. I love your um, answer about the hallway. I think that's a really lovely way to put it. Wonder if there's um, other people's work that you've been inspired by or anybody that you would recommend people interested in this space to check out. I mean, every day I feel like I'm inspired by somebody new, which is really, really exceptional and cool. And again, kind of this moment for any artist that is listening or producer or dev that is listening. I think it can feel like something you put on the whiteboard or you're like, maybe one day. And, and what I would just say is I, again, I come from web 2.0, early, early YouTube days and just showing up to the party made you a part of the party because there just were so few people jumping into the space feet first. And so in some ways right now, for example, as an actor, I audition for a role and there's probably like a thousand people applying for that same role, right? Right now I make a work of theater in virtual reality. There are maybe, maybe a thousand plays in the world right. <laughs> using virtual reality. Um, so just the odds are better that your work is going to find community, is going to find audience. And so some folks, I, I kind of wake up every day and find somebody new and that's really exciting. Um, there are many great festivals that are curated right now. PXR is happening in Canada that what I love about their mission is they're really involved in the um, indigenous community in Canada, and they're trying to always foster grants and support for that community, especially with these new technologies, which is a lot like the work that Max Noir did in Uganda to bring these technologies to the Ugandan community. Um, when I look at specifically VR storytelling, there's a variety of different kind of camps, if you will. I always have to acknowledge my ferryman collective family that I act for that does a lot of work in VR chat. There is Jason Moore, who does the meta movie in the platform Neos. There's BlackRock Creative that's kind of taken the reins on alt space. Um, Kyle Render uh, with Failed to Render, I believe, is really involved in comedy clubs within different platforms. So sometimes they do it in Horizons and sometimes they do it in alt space and they jump around, which is really cool. And then I have to celebrate each and every onboard artist. The artists that come through Onboard XR um, have gone on to do incredible things that I never would have imagined possible. And these are artists that I never would have met or produced or engaged with otherwise. Um, and someone that is a frequent collaborator of mine is Clemence DeBeg who I found on Twitter using haptic bands as part of her choreography and dance. And she used what she was doing with haptic bands to create messaging systems or web sockets into virtual reality. And she is now puppeting full body motion capture inside of a web browser, which is just wow. absolutely mind blowing. And she does it all herself, builds it all herself, deploys it all herself, choreographs it. It's 
extraordinary. And so a plug, um, I'm performing at the Rich Mix on the 26th uh, for open online theater for my musical non-player character in virtual reality. The night before, part of the same festival, buy a ticket, buy a badge, um, she is performing her brand new piece, Discordance, uh, which is two motion capture performers in different cities, one in uh, New York and one in London sharing the stage together. That is- That's a data dump for you. Yeah, that's so impressive and uh, ambitious and um, brave, <laughs> I think, as well. Really interesting. So um, can you actually tell us a bit more about Non-Player Character, the show that you're going to be doing here in London on the 26th of November? Absolutely. I think it elegantly absorbs all of the conversations that we've had thus far about my work and just generally the state of the industry and that I believe the future forward is hybrid. I think that in this duality of an existing audience and an existing industry for storytelling, be that Hollywood, be that Broadway, whoever that is, there is this anxiety of not wanting to let go of the tradition and the craft that we've established and the industry we've established. Um, and that can then feel antagonistic towards any sort of newcomers or new industry. But I believe that these technologies actually offer kind of a nice coupling or handshake with these existing industries to scale to new audiences and new modes of storytelling. And so non-player character specifically is looking to use hybrid storytelling where I'm on stage in a theater performing as you would go see somebody perform on stage any night of the week in a venued performance. I'm using projections, which are very cinematic on a cinematic track through the virtual world that kind of gives those viewers the best seat in the house. So they're able to watch the story unfold like a real-time animated film. They have a web app that's part of their program um, that they can hit buttons and actually interact or cause things to occur in the virtual world. So they are able to participate in, and engage as they would like to do so. And then on stage with me are four active participants that are wearing headsets and we are co-creating a story that is based around a non-player character in a video game, a character without any agency, who sees the hero die does not understand what occurred and needs help processing the grief. And so the audience takes me through the five stages of grief represented as five virtual worlds. And it's a musical. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, it sounds fantastic. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be great. Are you coming on the 26th? I think I am. Yeah, I should be in town. So I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. And you should all come too if you're watching this. Yes, please, please come because being in the room is magical, but also in consideration to accessibility and audiences who can't be there. What's lovely about this cinema track that we're projecting to the back wall is that I can send that anywhere. And so we can live stream that perspective of the experience out to whether it's kind of a Zoom conference or whether it's YouTube or whether it's Twitch, we can scale that to an audience that's watching virtually and intercut that with video cameras inside the venue. So you get that kind of Hamilton Plus experience of getting to be on stage with me while also seeing the virtual world, while also having the invitation to experience what it's like to be in the room. So cool. Really, really fascinating. So getting into the future a bit, where do you think this is all going to be headed? Where's, what's it going to be like five to 10 years from now? Is this technology going to be more mainstream? Do you think there'll be more shows like this? Do you think, what do you, what's it going to, there'll be sensory technology overlaid into everything? What are your, what's your vision? 
I mean, I think all of the above. I mean, the sensory stuff is interesting because I think that while that is obviously very exciting, and I'm sure that many, many productions will utilize those sort of kind of biometric signals to infer the audience's experience and give them more or less of certain moments. I also do have to be cognizant of the fact that the majority of people that watch even my movies right now or are watching this interview right now are also on a secondary device watching or consuming something else at the same time. So the idea that someone's going to want to fully, fully immerse themselves in a story uh, inherently at all times, I think that we don't have the data to support that. Some people want to be very immersed. Some people want that more passive uh, ability to consume stories. And I think giving space for both is great. What I think is compelling about the 3D web in general and whether you call that the metaverse or Web3 or just XR, um, we see companies like Facebook going all in on this. And I think really there's no question that if we look at history and we look at what occurred with Web2 and socialized streaming video, there is no question that the 3D web will parallel what we saw with the 2D web. That in some way, every industry, every community, every member of that community will have the invitation to utilize 3D space or the 3D web in their play, work, connecting, families, um, religion, everything. And so there is this moment in this invitation that everything can have, everything had a layer of the internet applied to it. And then everything had a real-time socialized layer of the internet applied to it. And I do think there will be an immersive layer applied to everything. Now, there's still a giant audience that doesn't even have a smartphone. They've opted out of that. They don't want to participate in that. There's still many pockets of the country and the world that don't have access to stable Wi-Fi. We're not going to necessarily change that overnight either. Um, but I do think there's an invitation that anybody who wants to um, will be seeing a 3D application of their lifestyle and their industry. And so it's a question of, do you want to opt into that now? Do you want to opt into that in five years? Do you, I mean, I remember the first time I had a website in 2002, maybe I made my first website using HTML. And I remember a casting director at the time in New York City shaming me, being like, what do you need a website for? Um, and that same casting director now has multiple websites. She has one for her casting business, for her consulting business, um, multiple social media accounts. And that isn't to shame her or me. The, the point is that there was no question that these technologies were going to change all of our lives. And it was a matter of when we both chose to opt into that transition. And so I think that this transition is coming it is a matter of how deep do you want to go into it and when do you want to enter it? I always ask this question and I'm curious what you have to say. So thinking about the bigger picture of XR and the metaverse, what is your biggest fear for the future of the industry? And then what is your biggest hope? My biggest fear, bringing the culture of technology investment to something that is so integral to how we will all be living and working. And what, what I think that means is in technology, it's about being first. It's about dominating a market. It's about closing gates so that you kind of control you know, that we talk about walled gardens and 
that model is extremely profitable, but it does stifle creativity, innovation, accessibility. It generally results from people who are already in power continuing to maintain power for those power structures. So it doesn't invite any new perspectives or any new voices. And so I worry that a lot of our language, and you and I are both guilty of it, even on this podcast of like really trying to talk about first and early and, you know, and that is important to celebrate those milestones and those wins. But I am concerned if all we care about is being first and owning that conversation, we do pull up the ladder for those behind us a little bit. And we all stand on the shoulders of giants. I did not create WebXR. I did not create virtual reality. I did not create a camera. <laughs> I did not create this microphone. Um, we are all scaffolding on top of innovation. And in some ways, I think that a technical culture gives a lot of room for domination, owning a market and industry versus societal creativity. Um, what I love about theater is the collaborative nature of it, the openness of it, the workshop iterative nature of it. The idea that what I, my favorite thing about theater in general is there is no definitive production of, for example, Macbeth. I made a Macbeth. Hundreds and thousands of other people have made their Macbeth. We all get to make Macbeth. That, that, that's great. Um, there's no definitive voice or mark on that. There's just different people's lenses on that story or on that um, modality. And I hope that VR and XR can protect for that so that this technology, these ecosystems can truly be for everyone. Um, but we will see. I mean, obviously, I, <laughs> I say that as a bleeding artist that is probably a little bit too in love with the idea of everybody's welcome. Um, and, you know, my mom would remind me that I should probably also make a living and eat. So I think there is that balance of capitalism versus community-driven <laughs> systems. Um, my hope for the industry is that what I think that COVID accidentally showed us is everyone in the world got quiet for a moment. We all had to disrupt the status quo, our regular schedules, our regular lives, and it caused us to question and invited new perspective, interpretation, distance from what we had just decided was the way things were. And this has in many ways disrupted the entire notion of work, the entire notion of family balance, the entire notion of geography, um, the entire notion of community. And my hope for these technologies is that it is disruptive enough, a layering of a true 3D application of our world in virtual space, that it disrupts us enough that we can re-question and re-examine and possibly then come up with different answers for problems that have not ultimately been solving for the most use cases. Yes, I agree. The possibilities and the opportunities are so exciting. <laughs> What's yours? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to come back to that one. That, I might save that one for my finale of the year episode. So if people want to get in touch with you to come see your shows, to get involved. Before, before I shamelessly promote myself, okay. I would just love to know, have you been to a 
interactive show in VR or XR that is a standout for you? So over lockdown, I believe the Globe Theater did Midsummer Night's Dream. I think it was the Globe. It could have been the National. Um, <laughs> put me on the spot there. It was it was the Royal Shakespeare Company did Dream inside of the headset. Um, so it was broadcast. It was motion capture, and it was uh, you could participate in it, so yeah. you could decide where it was going and stuff. Um, and that was really lovely because it was during lockdown. And then yeah, I've been to several kind of theater productions where you sit down and you put on a headset and then it's theatrical inside with some um, sensory technologies on the outside. I've also uh, recently saw Mirror Shot do their live concert where they do pass through with virtual reality. So you're watching them play in person, but you're also seeing the extra layers of content. Um, yeah, I mean, the possibilities, I love what is being experimented with at the moment. And uh, it's just sort of opening up doors. I'm hoping to go see, um, I talked to, uh, introduced uh, Katie Shoot in the beginning. She's doing some amazing improv stuff in this space, which sounds fascinating. So it's really cool and it is all happening. And anybody who hasn't been to one of these shows yet, I definitely encourage you to check it out. The um, And yeah, maybe you can plug your show and also what the festival is and then how people can get in touch with you if they have some questions or if they want to hire you or work with Onboard XR. Please, all the things. Um, I'm Brendan A. Bradley, all the places. So if you go to any platform and use the handle Brendan A. Bradley, if I'm on that platform, you will find me. And I generally, for because I have not learned in 10 years on the internet, um, I leave my DMs open. So if you nicely contact me, I will probably nicely contact you back. Um, I run onboardxr.org, onboardxr.org, uh, which allows anybody to join our community, immediately get knowledge sharing. We have a 21-day challenge where you actually step yourself through uh, a little bit of the mini festival and workflow so that you can asynchronously uh, stand up your first prototype on your own schedule. But we also have seasonal showcase where we actually kind of like crowdsource together and produce a bunch of work. We have an application that is completely open and free for that process as well. And I am performing non-player character live on stage at the Rich Mix Theater as part of Open Online Theaters Festival on November 26th, coming up in a sh few short days. I better get everything working. Um, and you can actually see me on stage and in virtual reality performing a live musical that also involves heavy audience interaction and agency. Thank you so much, Brendan. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all so much for watching and listening. Do be sure to check in next time where we are talking about getting physical in the metaverse with VR workout and the future of sports. Until next time, take care.